When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on Twitter at CharlesChillFFB. Everything Destination Devi again, patreon.com slash allgas. And shout out to the new Destination Chill coming August 6th, 8 p.m. Eastern, live on YouTube. Ray and I chopping it up, finally going to get this off the ground. Apologize to those that I had stated it would be out a couple weeks ago. We had some stuff come up, and boom, we'll be launching August 6th. So check that out. Uh, This episode today, we're going to get right to it. Uh, A major thing we are working on, and I'll plug it again at the end, is Mind Warped. Myself and Adam from 4D Chess have recorded almost 24 hours. I'm not sure what the total number is going to end up being, but it is going to be an entire lecture series on approaching warp and your league. So if you're interested in that, mindwarped.com, you can pre-order it, pre-sale, it should be out on or around August 1st, it should be available live. So if you're interested in that, mindwarped.com, check it out. Uh, but that's what today's episode is going to be about, approaching unique leagues. Obviously, you can use the warp tool. You can use the scoring matrix. You can use a lot of tools out there that can help you decipher where you should be headed when you jump into a new league or in a league where you already have a team and you're kind of looking for a way uh, to get back to baseline, get back to the right roster construction. How do I approach it? Then you get into leagues that are multiple copies. We talked about that last week with Chase and Cody on the Overreaction Show about our 36-team, three-copy league that we did. How do you approach that a little bit differently? Because you're playing against more teams. The margins are slimmer in terms of what you have to do to win. You have to beat 35 other teams, not just 11 other teams. So you get nuances like that where formats are different, scoring is different, settings are different, payouts are different thinking about empire leagues, thinking about leagues that have a reset after a certain amount of time. All these variables can change how you're going to approach a league. And that doesn't even get into the nuts and bolts, the scoring, the settings, the roster sizes, the waiver rules, all of that kind of stuff. That's what we're going to talk about today. This episode is all about how to approach unique leagues and determine your strategy. My guest was JJ Zacharyson at Late Round QB on Twitter. Check out his Late Round podcast, specifically the one that he did on July 18th, in which he talks about his unique approach to the Scott Fishbowl and navigating the landscape of how the group is going to think 
uh, versus the best way to draft based on what is optimal. So really interesting to go back and listen to that episode. Even listen to it before you listen to this one. Again, July 18th of the Late Round Podcast. You can find that on all podcast platforms. And then finally, tonight I will be participating in the final FFPC Pros versus Joes contest, drafting against J.J. Zacharyson. I pick in the sixth spot. He picks in the four spot. So I will be live streaming that over on the Dynasty and Chill YouTube channel. I will put out the link uh, on the Destination Debbie Discord as well as on Twitter and on the Dynasty and Chill Patreon. So if you want to join into that, I'll have a special guest on that show where we are live streaming the Pros versus Joe's Draft. And it's perfect timing that I have JJ Zacharyson on the show today to talk about approaching unique leagues. So see everybody on the Pros versus Joe's Draft tonight if you want to join the stream and enjoy the show with JJ. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest. It's a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Debbie team. The best part? If you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Debbie Discord where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up. Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Debbie Discord. Back to the show. All right, so we're going to get right into the topic of approaching unique leagues. A lot of dynasty managers out there are looking for the next level content in terms of, I have a league that has a bunch of different settings. It's not something that you're going to be covering on the Mind Warp series, which we'll talk about a little later in the show. Uh, But you get in a league and there's a bunch of really strange settings, crazy scoring, lineup construction that you're not used to, maybe some rules or constraints that you're going, how do I navigate this? Uh, And I wanted to bring this guest on as a great resource to approach leagues that are maybe a little outside the box. He recently just did a podcast July 18th talking about this, talking about the Scott Fishbowl. JJ Zacharyson, welcome on. Let's get right into it. Uh, Do a quick introduction and then we'll get right into the first question of when you get into a new league and it's something you haven't seen before, but you're trying to play the edges against whether it's one league or against a huge field. I'll talk a little about your initial approach. So welcome. Yeah, look, thanks for having me, man. Really excited to talk to you about this. I feel like every time that there's like uh, people tagging like game theory folks on Twitter and stuff, like your name, your, your name's always popping up there. So it's fun to fun, fun to finally do a show with you. Um, yeah, you know, whenever there's a, a, a unique league or a different league, uh, you know, that I'm in, uh, the first thing I sort of do is just look at what the typical league is, right? We know that a typical league, whether you're looking at redraft and dynasty, I know dynasty skews super flex a little bit more, uh, you know, than redraft does these days, which is great. Um, but you know, we have this single quarterback, sometimes super flex, two running backs, three wide receivers, sometimes a flex tight end. Uh, and then hopefully, uh, you're not using kickers and defenses, but if you are, you know, you have that as well. And so what I typically do is I, I just look at what, supply and demand is initially telling me right supply and demand being that if you need more of something then that cost of that something uh is going to increase right and so in a lot of cases you know we see leagues where uh for instance there could be five wide receiver slots instead of two or three and then from that you can automatically and initially think oh this league is probably gonna gonna skew wide receiver 
a little bit more than what the standard league is going to skew. And then you can look at, you know, if there's more running back slots or fewer running back slots. I think that the, the trend that I've at least seen from people emailing me and asking questions is that it seems like leagues and home leagues, and obviously I'm approaching this more from a redraft perspective, but I obviously give a lot of dynasty advice and talk dynasty. But uh, a lot of these leagues that people are emailing me about are lessening the number of running back slots in their lineup. And they're gradually adding either more flexes or more wide receiver spots. Um, and that really changes the dynamic from a supply and demand standpoint. Uh, it really forces you to sort of look at wide receivers uh, and, and bump them up uh, just naturally and initially in your rankings. So I'd say at like the highest of high levels of where I kick things off with these leagues, is I'm looking at supply and demand first. And the, you know, the easiest example is just if it's super flex or not, right? The easiest example to grasp what supply and demand is all about is, is this league a super flex league or is it a single quarterback league? And you know that if it's a single quarterback league, you're not gonna be drafting quarterbacks as early as you are in a super flex draft. So that's sort of just the initial read that I have within these leagues. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of times you get discussions of both scarcity, but then also what is optimal for the league. And so you get this discussion in Dynasty, especially because we're talking more than one year. So there's a value component that no one's really going to be able to solve for. You know, there's I don't know if you've seen it, but there's been a lot of talk out there on Twitter about how Dynasty is a game that people have solved for. And I think what they're speaking to is some of the strategies that people use in Dynasty are largely solved for because they're being used across tons of types of leagues. You get a lot of people that will go into a Dynasty league now and they'll say, I don't care about running back. And part of that is, the numbers that say you don't need elite running backs necessarily to win, but also it's the dynasty market at running back too. You can go into a league and say, I don't even need running backs because the market is so soft and they're so devalued in dynasty now that there's going to be opportunities for me to buy in at maybe an uncomfortable price, but as a price I know I'm going to be able to get versus some other positions, quarterbacks, young receivers. If you don't get them, you're not going to be able to get them because you're going to have to destroy the way you built your team to get them, but then you can't solve for the psychology of playing dynasty over a long period of time. How are people going to value assets? How are people going to value picks? So it's this weird dichotomy of there's scarcity, but then there's also what is optimal at the same time. And what I'm getting to with that question is you kind of know, just based on the general fantasy space as a content creator yourself, you kind of get a feel about how people value the entire landscape of players. Like I could just tell you kind of like the order that people would value them in. There's a pocket of quarterbacks and super flex that are at the very top. And then there's a pocket of really young skill players. And then it's just kind of a blend of everybody else. And that's where I think you kind of have to read your league and figure out, okay, X is optimal, but I also know the masses are going to be doing something that's the opposite. So I want to ask you a little about the Scott Fishbowl because you did your show and you and I even went back and forth a little bit on Twitter. And I was like, you know, what I think you're doing isn't what I would do from what is optimal. But you can also make the arguments, and you made this on your show, that even in a 12-team league, obviously Scott Fishbowl is a massive tournament. So there's an even bigger edge of doing something different than everybody else. But if you just find the edge within your given league, and you're just going against the grain, even if it is not optimal for the format, but it's against what everybody else is doing, I think that even gives you a little bit of a bigger advantage. How, how do you think about that? Even if you're just in a regular league, you're going, man, I just got in this room and there's 11 other people that are trying to do the exact same thing I'm doing. At what, what point do you go against the optimal and you kind of zig 
when everyone else is zagging because you get benefit by doing that. Yeah, I think, you know, this is going to get really philosophical, I feel like, which is great, right? Like, I, 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 because, because some of this stuff is definitely hard to articulate, but I'll do my best. So, um, I, I think that, that the whole zigging versus zagging thing is, is very real. And, you know, you definitely should, uh, be doing that to some degree. Um, but there are pockets, I think, where you zig, uh, when other people are zagging, right? So, what I mean by that, Scott Fishbowl, let's just use that as an example. So, you know, I did my analysis, uh, you know, I looked at, the supply and demand aspect of things when I started that. And I said, okay, you get three wide receivers that you're starting. There's two running backs. So maybe wide receiver gets a little bit of, of an edge over running back, but wait, there's a lot of flex spots. And given those flex spots, given the scoring and such favor seems to favor running backs a little bit more, you know, that baseline, if you were to do a VORP formula, that baseline for running back sort of favors running back a little bit more, et cetera, et cetera. So as I'm approaching Scott, as I'm approaching Scott Fishbowl, I'm looking at the supply and demand stuff. And then that supply and demand stuff then translates to me altering my projections just to get a general idea of what this landscape looks like, right? I'm definitely not someone who, like I build projections, feel confident in my projections, but I'm going to be wrong, right? Like you're going to be wrong. We're all going to be wrong with this stuff to some degree. You can't draft only based on projections, especially, you know, to me, I think projections are way more important in the early rounds than the mid and late rounds just because, uh, you know, you're, you're shooting for, for more of that, you know, 80th 90th percentile outcome with those middle round late round picks as opposed to in the early rounds yeah you're shooting for upside you should be looking for upside but almost every single player's profile and outlook the range of outcomes is they have a good floor and a good ceiling to some degree right so you can use those projections to, to at least help you out a little bit there so with scott fishbowl and, and and you know going back to the idea of of zigging and zagging uh and during pockets of your draft um, you know, with the Scott Fishbowl, you know, I built this VORP formula and, and and looked at my projections based on that. And I saw that, yeah, running backs were favored in that format, 100%. Like running backs looked better than wide receivers, you know, just between this, those two positions. Running backs looked better than wide receivers in that format. Therefore, running backs would hypothetically be favored in like a flex spot or something. But what I also noticed is that a lot of people were generalizing that concept across the entire position across all running backs, across all wide receivers. But what my numbers showed me was that, yeah, you can get a little bit of an edge if you're drafting one of the elite running backs over the elite, uh, the elite wide receivers. But there's definitely a point in time where the elite wide receivers were better than the running backs that were listed on the board and, and still available on the board. And so when I say these pockets of zigging versus when everyone's zagging, that's what I mean. I mean that if everyone's going running back heavy, which they were in my draft and in a, in a lot of these drafts, uh, there comes a point in time where the elite wide receivers, even though wide receiver as a position is devalued, the elite guys were still giving you somewhat of, a, of an edge in VORP. And not only that, but I see it as an edge also in projection, right? Because uh, when I'm projecting guys and I've tested this in the past, uh, a lot of times you're going you're gonna to have more confidence in elite wide receivers than some of the running backs that we end up projecting season to season. You know, from a bust rate perspective and all that kind of stuff, there's not that significant of a difference uh, from a redraft standpoint uh, in the early rounds between running back and wide receiver. But I've noticed that from a projection standpoint, uh, we can feel a little bit more confident in the projections that we bring forth with some of the elite, elite wide receivers. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm using the adjective elite for a reason, because when you there, there is a wall that you hit in every draft where elite running backs are obviously falling off, have fallen off the board. Elite wide receivers have fallen off the board. I'm not going to force the issue and draft what I see as an inferior running back because the scoring tells me to over one of these elite wide receivers. So my sort of contrarian play, it looks like it's contrarian, but to me it's logical to 
go after some of these elite wide receivers as opposed to going after, you know, a, 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 a non-elite running back. So really it's the point of, I'm going to take a tier one wide receiver instead of a tier three running back. And those are the pockets. I, you know, I'm, I'm completely understanding that the league format itself uh, favors running back, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that the wide receivers are valueless. Yeah. It's very interesting because we build our teams totally differently but the reason that I wanted to talk to you about it was specific because I looked at your end result and my draft still is not done yet, which is crazy. I still have two Dang. more picks. Dang. But when you did that podcast and when we were going back and forth on that thread on Twitter, we built our teams totally differently. You started heavy receiver early, but even on mine, I've literally blogged or live streamed each one of my picks and our where we wanted to get to at the end was very similar mm -hmm. because you still have to start three receivers. And you probably wanted to end up with at least five when you were done with your draft. I'm going to probably end up with five or six. You ended up with seven, but you took two tight ends. I'll probably end up taking three just because of where we took them. But basically our strategy was similar. It was just, we disagreed slightly as to where to take the receivers, but our roster construction in the end ended up being pretty similar. And that's what reflects, okay, the optimal says, I probably want to have many more shots at running back hammers than receivers. But I even said, hey, I didn't pick a receiver till round seven. But I also said, part of what I'm gambling on here is, one, I think my team's going to be extremely unique. There's not any other team that I've seen that has a draft like mine. But two, I even identified using like just historical warp in that format from the last three years. I really want to make sure I get the majority of my receivers within a certain range. So I'm really flirting with, okay, where, where is the least or the lowest spot I can take them? But what I don't want to do, and I saw some people do this because I see some drafts that get posted, they really went into the quarterbacks and running backs, and then their wide receiver one is, got, is somebody that was even outside of that pocket where you say, man, I want to get a couple in here because I have to start them. So that way you're actually losing value. And I don't know if you've seen it, but a couple teams I saw, you know, their wide receiver one was outside the top 40. And I'm like, that team, I get it, but they're also going to be losing a little bit to teams that really lived on the edge just a little bit less and still captured, I think, more valuable receivers within that range. So it is playing off of the, you know, you do have to start a minimum of three receivers. I'll, I'll ask you this question. If you only had to start one receiver in Scott Fishbowl, if he just went nuclear last, next year and says it's one, 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 and all flexes, how many receivers would you have drafted in that, in that circumstance? Would it have probably only been like, three or four or would have still stuck to your formula? Like I'm guessing you wouldn't have taken the Traylon Burks or Jaden Reed. You could have still played the same way, but what you wouldn't have added the extras, I would guess. hundred percent. I, I probably wouldn't have even played it the same way. I, I think that having that additional receiver spot as a, uh, a requirement within your roster is, it shouldn't go overlooked, like completely overlooked, you know um, you know, the, the wide receiver position, you know, again, it sort of goes back to, I, I start, by comparing the the league that I'm drafting in to the very standard usual league that we see, right? The the single quarterback, you know, two running back, three wide receiver, etc. We all know how to draft in those leagues, right? Years and years and years have gone by and we've been just taking, you know, pounding uh running backs and wide receivers in the early rounds. Maybe you wait on tight end, maybe you wait on quarterback, but it's basically the same formula for most people year in and year out. You go anchor RB, maybe you go zero RB. Like we have all these strategies and everyone knows sort of what to expect when going into, you know, a regular redraft season long league at this point. 
And so because we have all that data and because we have all that information, we can really glean a lot from how the market has behaved historically and how uh, these positions, you know, you're mentioning sort of like these firewalls, if you will, like, you know, if, if, a, if a team is drafting a wide receiver 40 as their wide receiver one, well, we can look historically at what a wide receiver 40 plus, you know, 45, 50 have done and how often they've actually been competitive in fantasy football and become, you know, a, a true stud or, you know, a top 15 ish top 12 wide receiver. And the answer to that is not very often, right? It doesn't happen all that often. And it's, it's similar to like how I view, and we had a discussion about the running back dead zone in particular, and the way that, that people sort of look at, at running backs in this format, it's almost as if uh, the idea and the concept of the running back dead zone sort of gets thrown out because in this format, running backs matter more. And so I, my, my argument with the running back dead zone. So if you take a step back, the running back dead zone in, in a regular redraft league, you know, it, you could argue that there's some dynamics in, in dynasty leagues as well. But the running back dead zone in a regular redraft league, my research has shown middle of round three in a 12 team league is typically when you start to hit the dead zone and it goes through round six. And it's a place in the draft where running backs are uh, are not living up to ex- or sorry, they are living up to expectation to some degree, but they're not giving you that big of a ceiling, right? And then the wide receivers drafted there are typically pretty good bets or have been historically. So wide receiver just gets favored in those rounds. And so there's an opportunity cost component to it. Now, when you switch leagues and you, and you, you have a format like Scott Fishbowl or you have a really funky format where you can't just uh, sort of overlay, okay, middle of round three, end of round six, that's the running back dead zone. You can't just simply say that. Well, you can look within the position and look at positional rankings and see that, okay, forget the rounds that I just talked about. Now look within the position and, and you can see that after like RB 12 ish, which is kind of convenient because uh, you know, obviously that's the, the low end RB one. That's when you starting to get into RB two range, but historically after RB 12 ish, that's when we start to see the running back dead zone exist from a running back only perspective. So forget about the opportunity cost side, just strictly from the running back perspective. Right? So what I found is that the RB 14 RB 15 really doesn't give you that dramatically different of a ceiling than what we get from RB30, from RB35, right? And so you can use that same exact knowledge that we found in a regular season-long draft that we found historic from historic data. You can still use that information for a league format like Scott Fish, now the Scott Fish Bowl. Now, do those running backs in the dead zone, in the flex in particular, still give you somewhat of a bump? Yeah, because they're getting points per carry and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but at the same time, if Damian Pierce, who's in the running back dead zone this year, you know, people are drafting him in, in Scott Fishbowl in that, like, let's just say RB20 range or what have you, right? And so Damian Pierce goes RB20, RB24, whatever. Uh, it's not like if Damian Pierce, it's not like Damian Pierce would bust in a regular redraft league, but not bust in the Scott Fishbowl. Because at the end of the day, volume is still what's driving all of these fantasy points, right? Volume, like... If Damian Pierce busts, it's likely because Devin Singletary just gets more work than we expect, or uh, you know he's not he doesn't in- improve on his receiving role. Damian Pierce, and then that's not going to change if you're playing in the Scott Fishbowl versus if you're playing in a regular redraft league. And so you know people and players emerge from the dead zone all the time. I think that that's sort of a misconception too. It's not that the dead zone is a place that you just have to avoid altogether. It's just that you know I'm I'm choosing pockets in this draft that I want to attack, right? And, and you should do that with any unique format where, you know, that elite wide receiver pocket, I was cool to attack that because I would much rather have a Devonte Adams than a running back dead zone back. Right. 
Uh, and then when you get into that dead zone area, I'm not going to force the issue on running back because I haven't drafted a running back. I'm going to instead go after an RB3, RB4 types and just pound those over and over and over again and hope that probability ends up in my favor, right? And then the other point to all of this, I know I'm ranting a little bit, but the other point to all of this is that, and you and I talked about this, is that when you're in a league like this where everyone sort of knows what position is most important, but there's our other uh, lineup requirements to satisfy in some way, people stop drafting that position eventually, right? When, when people realize that they have three running backs on their team and they're like, okay, I got my running backs, I'm good to go. Well, I would argue that you should just keep pounding the running back position if that's the, the approach that you're going to take. You know, maybe get a wide receiver or two that you feel comfortable with, like a Jerry Judy type or something like that. But keep pounding the running back position because all you're doing when you stop doing that is you're helping a team like me who decided, oh, I'm going to go after RB3s and RB4s instead of the RB2s. Now I'm going to be able to get those RB3s and RB4s while also having those elite wide receivers. So that was really the approach that I took. Now, I didn't enter the draft saying this is how I'm going to do this, but it's just sort of how the board fell. And then using those dynamics and those, that information that I knew from you know years and years of research with the regular redraft format, uh, it really enabled me to, to, I think, put together what I saw as an optimal roster based on the board. Yeah, you hit on some really good points in there that I think is applicable to all formats. It goes right back to what I was talking about. You look at the scoring and you figure out, okay, what is the dominant scoring based on just the format? Then you have to figure out your roster construction. And the main point you nailed, and this is why zero RB in a lot of formats, like that's not point per carry works, is for a couple of reasons. Is one, like in my example, I only took five wide receivers. I made it a point to say, okay, I'm going to go running back early, but I'm also not going to stop. Yep. Because if I stop, then I'm just helping teams like JJ that are going, all right, I'm able to get 12 running backs on my roster because what, what, what would have been the flaw that I did? Oh, I don't have any good receivers. So once I get my four, I need to add seven more on my bench. When the, the reality is, do I really want to be adding wide receiver 90? Or is that that's literally a zero in the Scott Fishbowl? I'd much rather just have a running back, even if I'm weak at receiver. I sat there and go, you know what? I'm only going to take five receivers, but one of them is probably going to be like a KJ Osborne or a Gabe Davis. And you know why? Because if that's my fifth receiver, guess what I'm going to have to do a lot of weeks? I'm just going to have to start him. And I'm going to ride the ups and downs. Like I can look at his season-long warp and say KJ Osborne's season-long warp was 0.7 wins above replacement. But how many of those did I capture if I have five KJ Osbournes on one team in a lineup league? Probably very little because I'm chasing which one to start every week. So I think that's the misnomer in the Scott Fishbowl was doing that. And it's the same in a PPR league. The reason zero RB works, and I know Sean Siegel's talked about this a lot, is you don't stop after you take four receivers. Even if you only have to start four, you don't stop after you take mm -hmm. four because once you take five, once you take six, because I've seen them where they'll take six receivers to start yeah. a draft. And you're going, dude, they can only start four. They're just wasting value. No, what they're doing is they're pushing the board around yep. to where eventually the other teams are going to reach on receivers or they're going to draft more for what you said because they don't have enough or they don't have good enough ones. And then they're not going to value the running backs that you're going to be able to take at the end. And then the best part is what is the easiest position to start week to week when you have no information about them preseason? It's probably running back. Mm -hmm. And and how many times in a zero RB build or a hero RB build do you just go, I have to start Samaj P. Ryan every week because I don't have anybody else. Yet, 
a lot of people will go, well, he wasn't in my lineup because he was projected to be RB 48 on the week. So I didn't start him because I started who Damian Pierce over him every week. Right. But then you look back and you go, damn, if I would have just started P Ryan and not paid for Damian Pierce, I got the same amount of top 12 weeks or the same amount of top 24 weeks at a cost where I could have taken another receiver. So it's that theory of kind of understanding what's the dominant part of the league in terms of the scoring. And then also you got to hit the optimal roster construction too. So let's uh, transition into best ball unless you had any final points on that. Yeah. I I, I just want to say, I think a really good example of this, which happened in my draft uh, was I started really pounding the running back position. And at round 12, I literally picked like eight straight running backs from round 12 on. And if you look in round 14 through round 19, uh, there were in total in my draft, 12 running backs taken in that, in that range, I had six of them, right? It's the perfect example of every other team saying, I don't need running backs right now because I already got them. And then I'm saying, oh, well, this is my pocket where I'm going to go attack the position. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. And I think, in a, you have to play it that way in a big tournament too, because you, you can't control what everyone else in the other drafts do, but yeah. you can look at your group of 12 and say, yeah, they're not going to take them here because of how everyone else has built their team. So yeah. very, very interesting. Uh, I'm going to put this up. The people that are listening on the, um, the pod feed can't see this, but I'm going to put this up. So we are doing pros versus Joe's next Monday night, I believe is our draft. We're the last draft. So we get the benefit of seeing. All the other ones go off before. I really haven't even looked at them yet, but I'll at least be able to look at them, you know, like Sunday night, look at the prior drafts and just kind of see how they were going. Uh, but this is a best ball league. So this is a FFPC best ball slim where there's no kickers. There's no defenses. It's 1.5 tight end premium. Uh, start two receivers, two flexes, uh, running back and or two running backs and a quarterback and a tight end. So given that it is best ball, 20-man rosters, you don't have to give away your strategy, but obviously this is a no waivers, only 20 roster spots. You're playing against technically 84 other teams, but I think we went back and forth and said you only get really a prize if you win your 12-team yeah. league. So yeah. given the parameters of that, you don't have access to the waiver wire. It's best ball. How important is going in with a a plan, but also a more targeted plan for your, what you want your ultimate roster construction going to be to talk through your process of how you would analyze something like this. Yeah. So I, I think what's really important in all drafts, not just only in best ball, but uh, it, it's a little bit easier to comprehend in best ball. But if you're, if you're drafting a, a position heavily early, you should then go harder at other positions late. Right. So if you're going to go with a, a, a start or a three X running back start, right. You might not even need to draft. You might only in a 20 round league, you might only need to draft one or two more running backs after getting those three running backs. Cause you're essentially, you know, the way that I approach these, and this is the way that, you know, I approach any best ball format and redraft, especially is you have to assume that how you're drafting is the way that things are naturally going to go. You can't assume injury. You can't assume safety, right? So if you draft B. John Robinson, you know, I'm not going after Tyler Algier. I'm going to go after uh, a backup running back from another uh, roster that could maybe uh, overtake his 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 backfield and become a starter, right? I'm just going for upside because first place is all that matters in these leagues, um, and, and that's what I did last year. Last year I actually won uh, the the pros versus my my league that I was in. This year I'm a little bit more frightened because people like you are in it. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But um, you know, I I do think though that going into these leagues. Again, I've been doing a lot of best ball drafts this offseason, right? As I do every year. And so you have sort of this, you're sort of conditioned to know how these drafts are going to go down. 
Um, and then you sort of just just transform that approach to fit a full PPR, multiple flex type format, one fewer wide receiver. So the demand, <clears throat> technically the demand for wide receivers is one spot lower, but there's two flexes in this in this format and wide receiver. I mean, you could argue wide receiver across the board should should be the position that you flex, but especially in a full PPR league, right? And so naturally from a value over replacement standpoint, uh, you're going to lean wide receiver heavy a little bit more. So I'm going to enter this draft saying, okay, see how the board falls, of course, but I'm going to probably lean a little bit more wide receiver heavy, uh, maybe go with like an anchor RB, see which quarterbacks are falling from an elite standpoint. And then if I don't get one of the elite tight ends, which is the way that I approach most leagues, then I'm just going to largely punt the position because middle round tight ends have just been uh, pretty bad bets historically. So, you know, a lot of the same trends and, and, and uh, you know, items that I've, that, that we've all researched historically really does apply to formats like this. And then within best ball, um, you know, you do have to think about guys who have more locked in roles and such, just to make sure that you are getting that, that production. You know, it's a little bit different in a redraft league when you're in the final rounds of your draft and you're literally throwing a dart at a guy like Justin Ross or something who, who knows what's going to happen with him this year. Right. Uh, chance and, and probability wise, probably not a lot's going to happen with them this year. Uh, just, just probability uh, from a probability standpoint, but in a regular redraft league, you can make up for that and just drop the dude and pick up someone else off the waiver wire. Uh, you, you sort of want, I mean, not sort of, you need production, uh, some sort of production, some, some semblance of production from some of these guys late in your draft as well. It's fine to get uh, a, a giant's pass catcher or something who likely doesn't have a crazy, crazy high season long ceiling. Uh, but in this format could give you some usable weeks still. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point about best ball. And if anyone wants to check out this warp chart that I made for pros versus Joes, because I will be live streaming this uh, next Monday, uh, just go to the warp the warp tool southharmonff.com uh, slash warp. Check it out. If you already have it, just put in my username, Charles Chill FFB. You can pull it up. But in best ball, it's interesting because you pretty much are going to capture almost all of the warp that you have on your team as long as you roster construct right. You can run into problems where you lose some of it because you have overlap week to week. Uh, and I think a lot of times we also get too caught up in season long numbers where ultimately, you know, these leagues, not this one specifically, but some best ball dynasty leagues are still head to head. So sure, you can look at your roster construction and you can look at, you know, okay, overall, I'm going to get all of these points, but the distribution still matters week to week, which makes it weird that we put out season long projections, but largely all formats we play week to week games. Yeah. So how do you exploit that? So this is interesting. Um, I'm going to use this just looking at this chart. This is the first time I shared this with you other than I sent it to you a little bit ago, but if you haven't looked at it, that's fine. It actually makes for a little better content. I think when you see these lines for just historical warp, it's exactly what you said. FFPC, it is, uh, you know, it's not really nuked, but it's still only four point per passing touchdown. So you can see the QB drop off is pretty stark from like the top three or four last year to pretty much everyone else. And when you look at that really flat line getting into, you know, QB 12 through 24 kind of feels like if you're fishing in that range, you're almost immediately thinking when you see a flat line, what vo volume over quality, right? Like I'm right. probably going to try to get two guys in that range at a cheaper price, but it may push me into a three quarterback build yep. in that case. Yep. Same with tight ends. You said, if I don't get an elite one, what there is, unless you are able to say, and, and certainly if you say, you know what? I think, Evan Ingram this year is going to be a top four tight end, sure. then you take him. 
Yeah. But generally, you would say Evan Ingram, where you have him projected from a season-long standpoint, probably not a great pick at tight end six or seven, right? Compared right. to tight end 20, you know, like that that kind of argument. So when you look at these charts, uh, and we're going to be putting out Mind Warped on August 1st, where we literally go through tons of different formats and talk through this stuff. But when you look at that kind of thing, you're like, I, I already have a plan, but then... You don't know till you get into the room what everybody else is going to do. So my last question for you is, does it does it impact you at all when you're playing against more than 12 teams? In this case, not 3,000, but just 84. Does it impact you all and go, you know what, I want to go even slimmer to the extremes? Like, I'm only going to take two tight ends, two quarterbacks, and take extreme risk at, like, my tight end two and quarterback two? Do you think about it that way, or are you trying to be, like, as efficient as possible? I'm mostly trying to be as efficient as possible. Um, you know, you obviously, it, it depends on where you would be taking those positions. You know, I, I think that like, if you got like Greg Dulcich and Dalton Schultz or something as your tight ends, you could probably stop there and feel fine about that. Right. But if you're getting into like the rookie tight end range and, and from a redraft perspective, or you're getting into, you know, the Jawan Johnson's of the world, uh, you're still going to need to fulfill that, that tight end uh, uh, spot in your lineup. And then not only that, but you can also think about tight end to some degree. I don't think that your brain should automatically go there, but you can think of tight end as, as fulfilling a, a flex spot as well at times. Um, not that that's going to be something that would commonly happen, but that's the, the upside, I guess I would say of going with more uh, players at that position later in your draft and, and selecting more of them and not just stopping at the two, let's say. Um, is that you can hypothetically still get those points into your lineup with more than one tight end uh, and it's tight end premium. So that can happen, you know, on these like random uh, off weeks. Um, I don't think that should change your tight end strategy so dramatically as we sometimes see in tight end premium. But, um, you know, just especially because we we know it sort of goes back to what I said about like the running back dead zone and such with, with the regular redraft league, uh, you know, a, a hit within the middle rounds at tight end versus a hit in the late rounds at tight end uh, or, or, or just the, the expected outcome of these guys really isn't that dramatic. Like there's not that big of a difference between middle round tight ends and late round tight ends. And so if a guy hits in one format, he's going to hit in most formats. It's just the, the, the general way it's going to go. Um, and so I, I don't really concern myself about that half point too much only because yes, if you look in hindsight and you see how these, how things played out, um, you're going to see some differences, no different in like a six point per touchdown pass league versus a four point per touchdown pass league. But you have to ask yourself, how predictable is that? You know, how, how much variance occurred in order for that to happen. And it turns out, you know, a tight end, especially like once you get out of that, like top three, top four tight end range, historically, there's a lot of freaking variance. You know, there's a lot of guys that you can get late that, that end up breaking out. Um, you know, the R squared, uh, between basically that tight end, tight end four, tight end five to like tight end 20 is not very strong at all in terms of where they were drafted and how many, how many points per game they actually ended up scoring. So I use sort of that sort of information to, to dictate how many of these players I should take. And then the size of the league, you know, if it were within our individual league, if we were playing with like 16 or 20 different, you know, team, if there was a 16 team league or a 20 team league or something like that, that definitely changes my, my outlook. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go, if you're only starting one quarterback, let's say, and now you're, you've got 16 teams in your league now you're starting way more running backs and wide receivers. And so a lot of people automatically think, and they say, oh, well, if I get a Patrick Mahomes or a Jalen Hurts, I'm going to have a huge advantage at quarterback. And it's like, well, there's an opportunity cost in doing that because all of a sudden now you're going to be lagging at running back and wide receiver. So if it was in that individual league, for sure, my, my 
philosophy and my draft strategy would change. I might go, uh, you know, with three or even maybe even four late round quarterbacks or something like that, as opposed to getting an elite one. Um, but you know, across, uh, you know, when you have a bunch of 12 team leagues like this, and like we said, technically the biggest prize is just winning the individual league. Um, it's probably not going to, going to shift my, my draft strategy that much. Yeah, I'll just say this. You hit on a really awesome point with the quarterbacks is because right now the elite quarterbacks are going round two, round three of these drafts. And if you really think about it, let's say just hypothetically, you go into the draft and you say, I'm going to spend and I'm going to really get out on the limb here with people. So just just vibe with me. Say I'm going to spend five hypothetical dollars on quarterback. Okay, and Patrick Mahomes costs four dollars. Kenny Pickett costs a dollar. Now, let's say you're right on both of those players, because if, if you're only going to spend five, you just spent your five on those two. And that makes sense to only go with those two if you're going to take Mahomes, right? Let's say Mahomes actually exceeds where you drafted him. and He ends up at $4.50 worth of value. And then Kenny Pickett exceeds where he draft, you drafted him, and he ends up at $1.75. So you spent $5, and you ended up with $6.25. So you ended up with a profit, right? But then think about, okay, yeah, you're going to sit there and go, man, there's no way I can end up with, you know, the same amount by taking three other quarterbacks. But in theory, you could end up with that same amount if you spend less than the $5, but you end up, let's say you only spend $3, but you end up at $5 after that in terms of their production. You actually profited more with the, the three QBs. The only thing you gave up was the extra roster spot, but in theory, you were able to invest the money elsewhere. So it's it's a push and pull. That's why we stress here, even in Dynasty. JJ, I, in Dynasty, I see the most egregious roster construction across leagues to the point where, and I think because it's Dynasty, people go, you know, there's not a waiver wire. There's It's not as active from day to day or week to week. But now that Dynasty is becoming more of like a year-to-year, week-to-week game, I go through rosters and I go, man, this is a – like a Scott Fishbowl scoring league, and the team will have two running backs mm-hmm. and no draft picks. And it's like you're giving away a ton of value just by being, even if you're right on every player you have, you're constructed totally wrong. So right. you're probably just giving away, you know, 20% to the rest of the league just by being so inefficient for your team. So if you can help anybody, do you have anything you want to talk about? Any tools, access to you, anything that you want to promote? that can help people with these concepts when they get in some of these weird leagues. Yeah. You know, I, I do the late round draft guide started it last year when I went out on my own. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I, I republished it again this year for the 2023 version and a lot of the stuff in that guide, you know, I, I didn't want to publish something that was just player profiles. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to just do what is out there that you can get anywhere where there's not going to be that much variation from one analyst to the next in terms of their, the, the way they, they look at players, you know, grand scheme and, and high level. Um, so I really wanted to dig into the sort of strategic side of fantasy and what I look at. And a lot of the stuff that I look at are these market trends and looking at, um, you know, how how weird the previous season was, because we know that people draft off of the previous season so much and, and whether there were some anomalies and what that means for this season, et cetera, et cetera. Like a good example of that is at the quarterback position last year, we saw basically the most insane quarterback season in terms of the top guys separating themselves that we've seen since the 2011 season, which happened to be the season right before I, I wrote the late round quarterback ebook that got me a job basically in the, in the industry and in the space. Right. And so we're, we're seeing sort of some funky things happening on, on on the market side um, that I think go overlooked, doesn't get enough attention within the space. Game theory is unreal important. And, you know, I would argue more important than player takes 
just because you know it, it allows you to increase your probability to hit on those players is by having smart game theories. So that's really what you know the late round draft guide sort of sort of digs. I still have my players to target, players to avoid, all that kind of stuff. But it's not it's not the bulk of what I'm I'm trying to get across. You know, I'd rather teach people to fish and and show them that there are a lot of unique and interesting ways to sort of approach this game and, and win consistently year in and year out. Well said. You're one of the best to follow, one of the best to listen to. And I think that advice uh, kind of goes on deaf ears. There's more content out there now than ever before. Yeah. If you just want opinions on players, you can find 10 of them within five minutes. Mm-hmm. And if you think that's your edge, if I can just watch film or I can just pull data and I can pick players better than you and I, it's not really an edge. It's getting into these areas where you know everybody isn't paying attention, the psychology and the game theory of your league. And sometimes it's easier than others, especially when you're in leagues with JJ. Uh, but thank you, JJ, for coming on. Great discussion. Um, I just want to cover a couple things real quick for everybody. Uh, check out everything Destination Devi at patreon.com slash allgas. Dynasty and Chill Patreon. We have our Zoom chat coming out uh, end of August uh, when this comes out. Uh, it is Dynasty and Chill, patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. The newsletter for Destination Devi, allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe. Mind Warped coming out on August 1st. Uh, pre-sales up right now on uh, southharmonff.com and mindwarped.com. If you like Warp, it's a 24-hour class just teaching you how to read leagues and how to roster construct in a ton of different formats. And there's a package where you can get a free Warp tool for a year. Uh, and then finally, Ray and I show, sorry, we did not launch it last weekend, but I uh, had a couple things come up. So August 6th, 8 o'clock, Destination Debbie YouTube, uh, Destination Chill will be our premiere episode of that. So stay tuned for that and tune in on YouTube uh, if you want to do that. And then finally, this is a lot, but we are doing a live Dynasty Trades in 5 at the Fantasy Football Expo. Also, uh, if you like Dynasty Trades in 5, we'll be doing a live show, live questions. Uh, I believe it's going to be Sunday at 10 a.m. So if you're coming to the Expo, uh, tune in for the live trades in five show. Uh, thank you, JJ Zacharyson, for coming on at Late Round QB. Follow his podcast, follow his work, sign up for his Patreon. Uh, with that, we will be back next week. Be chill.